Welcome to the Grace City Church Podcast, where we believe that Jesus died to reconcile us to God, to others, and to make us reconcilers. We're so glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're watching, God is doing transforming work in you through this message. Amen. Hey, I'm glad to be with you um, on the ground and the rounds. Who, who, uh, who read the email and was like, what's that going to happen? Thank you, Bethany. Not surprised you read it. Anybody? That's it. Just Bethany read Ellen Hudson. I see that hand. Um, yeah, so uh, we're like, maybe we should tell people so they're not super surprised, um, but he's still surprised. But uh, yeah, it's just a chance. I mean, I'm excited. Today is uh, not officially uh, our four years, but around it. So it's the day we celebrate. And uh, we just really wanted to take the moment and to recognize what God has done. And so we're excited just to, uh, the timing works out good because we're in the last week of our Upside Down Leadership Series where we're talking about uh, church leadership. So that's very fitting. It's very fitting. Thank you, God, for the timing because we really are not strategic enough to think about it, I promise. Uh, But it worked out and uh, that's good and we're excited to get a chance, one, to just look at the word and invite all of us into what it, really God's call to us to participate in ministry. Everybody say participate. That's a word we've used a lot recently, thinking about groups. Say participate one more again. Participate. Participate. So we just hope that we kind of all get brought in by God's call to participate um, through 1 Peter chapter 5. And uh, we get to look at and think about the place that should be, uh, in the language of our series, the most upside down, which is the church. Meaning, the way the world defines leadership, the place that should have the most concentrated version of God's practice of leadership should be right here in the church. And so we're excited to, excited to talk about that. Um, we'll be doing that. And then next week, we're starting our series in First Thessalonians, which we'll just kind of slowly plot our way through all the way uh, until Christmas. So that should be fun. It's a very relational book, and uh, that's our typical practice. So uh, looking forward to that. Let me read the text one more time, <clears throat> and we'll get in. We're just jumping into the middle of this letter. This is a portion of the letter written directly to elders and pastors, but I think you'll see how relevant it all is as we think about participating in the ministry that God has entrusted to us, or as Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he planned in advance for us to do. We all have that in store for us, even if we feel like we're the most untalented, unworthy people. God has something in store. 5-1, to the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who, may, who also will share in the glory. Everybody say glory. glory. <clears throat> to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Some of you already feeling convicted. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory. That will never fade. So Peter is the author of this letter, and he is appealing on the basis of his eldership. So he says, he begins, I appeal to you as a fellow elder. He's like, I'm talking to elders, and I'm appealing to you because I'm an elder too, and we the same, and we talk, we talking, right? Like, so Peter, though, he he is the guy, if we're familiar with our Bible, who followed Jesus, and 
on this rock I'll build my church, and the admonition is given to the disciples and to Peter uniquely. He's one of the 12 disciples, 12 apostles who saw Jesus. That's why he says, I'm a witness to the sufferings of Christ. He knows exactly what that is. He has a different type of authority. He's written this letter that is a book of the Bible that's authoritative for our lives. It's authority, right? He is an apostolic office. So he could have appealed to these people on the basis of his apostleship, Right? He could have said, I appeal to you because I am your authority, because I'm, because I'm in charge. He could have pulled the apostolic trump card, but instead he says, I'm going to appeal on the basis of our sameness. I'm going to appeal to you because I'm one of you. You see, Peter was also an elder in the Jerusalem church, so he led that church. He was doing the work. I don't know if you ever heard of this phrase, something I heard before. It says, it is, um, it's hard to teach what you don't know and to lead where you won't go. It's hard to teach what you don't know and lead where you won't go. Peter's like, listen, I've been there and I'm doing it. I'm doing the work. I'm an elder too. So um, as most of you know, I am a pastor. And um, <clears throat> it is uh, um, talking about what I do, like in public, can be awkward for me at times. Because when you say you're a pastor... People get weird. Seriously. Like, you literally, like, when they find out, they're like, oh, I'm sorry. I, I cussed earlier in our conversation. <laughs> and I just feel really bad now that I know who you are. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm a human. Like, we good. You know what I'm saying? I like the, some of you, I laugh because some of you are like, I don't care at all. We got people in our church. <laughs> they like, it don't matter to me. I'm going to be me. And I like that. I like that. Um, I really do. It's actually very refreshing. I remember once I was on a trip with Mally and uh, my wife, and <clears throat> we, it was like one of those where they cook the food in front of you places. And that's the one time you like, if you go on a, you go on a date, you like, you don't get to talk with your spouse the whole time. You're talking to a person next to you because you're so close, you know? So we're on a corner, and so I'm talking to, it's like, I'm supposed to be with you, but I'm talking to this guy. And uh, he's asking me, you know, what I do. And at the time, I pastored a church in Greenville, and it was a big church. And there was multiple sites. And I did everything I could do to tell him what I did without telling him I was a pastor. So literally, this is what I said. I said, I lead a branch of an organization <laughs> that, that teach, teaches, because I realized like, that sounds very vague, <laughs> that teaches people uh, theology. And Mally heard me doing this. And uh, he, he literally just goes, yeah, my, my uncle's a pastor. I was like, yeah. <laughs> that failed. You know, <laughs> all my good language, and it just failed. But it's like there is, and that, that had been like my relationship with talking about my office in public until Richard Brown, uh, one of our elders who's away on missions in Scotland. And, um, <clears throat> and he was like, he kind of, he, he'll do, he He'll challenge me sometimes, and I love it. And he's just like, he's like, I use it to my, and he's just like, you know how he's like so lovable? He's like, I use it to my advantage. I just tell people I'm a pastor, and I start talking to them about spiritual things. It's helpful. I was like, well, that's another point. <laughs> I was like, I can see that working that way. And it, that would have been way more effective than saying I lead a branch of an organization. Uh, and he was like, no, like, and, and you know, it's what I do, and and I, I do have a love-hate relationship with it at times because parts of it can be challenging, but there can be a part of me that wants to distance myself from that title because of the fear of what people will assume and because of the baggage associated with the office in our culture. 
here's, here's kind of what I want to say to us. Is when, when we're talking about like an appeal based on our sameness, there is something that's true to you, the office you, we all hold if we are in Christ. And it's that we are Christians. And that is the identity that God has given us that's more near to us than any other thing. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I think for many of us, we can want to distance ourselves from that identity marker too, right? In whatever space we're in. And we can be afraid to say, hey, yeah, like you walk, you, you walk into work, you know, you're like, I don't know if you know, I'm a Christian. You know? I don't know if your coworkers know. You're like, yeah, I follow Jesus. That's what I do. You, you know, you move into the neighborhood. You're going to knock your neighbor, hey, I'm, I'm a Christian. It's who I am. It is. It's more core to us than anything else. And people might think things when we identify that way, but it doesn't particularly matter because it's who we are. And what I love about Peter is he's appealing based on sameness to them. And so even as we talk about church leadership, and we're going to talk about some of the implications for leadership and governance and pastor and elder, all this kind of stuff, which is super important, I believe, and helpful to know, there's a sense in which I want to appeal to you on the basis that, yeah, I have an office, but truthfully, we all the same. We're Christians. We're children of the living God. And the, what, he's, what he's saying to us has relevance to all of us. And my hope is, like, in this time on this day, like, we can be invited into the participation of ministry and even get to do some of these things that's encouraged for the elder, but also encouraged, I think, for all of us. So he says, to, I, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings because he actually saw Christ's sufferings. He saw it. He knows what Jesus did, that Jesus did not stay where he was in heaven. Instead, he came incarnate and he suffered. It was an act of, his, his leadership for us was suffering. And, and I think in some ways, the, the call, in, and this is what can be confusing, because the call into Christian ministry, you could say it's kind of a call into suffering. It kind of is. Like, you, you, you read about Christian leaders, I mean, in the Bible, and the apostles, like, they get persecuted, and what, what happens? You know, remember, you know, read Acts. They're rejoicing that they were, literally, it says, counted worthy enough to suffer. You're like, What? That does not sound like something I would rejoice in. Yet they're rejoicing in it, you know? It says it's been granted, Philippians 1, it's been granted to you not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Like, like there's an invitation in, but what you see in this text is like, yeah, like I think it is this invitation to suffer, but it starts, so it says, he's, he's seen Christ's sufferings, and if you read First Peter, it's all about kind of human suffering too, if you read the book. But then he says, who also will share, he's talking about himself, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. So it's not suffering for no purpose, it's suffering, but he's like, like Christ suffered, but I am a sharer in the glory that's going to be revealed through Christ. And then what's going to happen in verse 4 is he's going to talk about this crown or reward of glory. And so in a lot of ways, the invitation towards participation in Christian ministry, it is an invitation towards suffering, but get this, just like this text. It is bookended by glory. 
the glory in our salvation and understanding of Christ's suffering and the glory of the reward that is in store for us. That's what he says. Verse 2, we get the work of an elder or a Christian leader. It says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. In some ways, those are the two responsibilities of an elder summed up in two ideas, really two words, to shepherd and to watch over or to provide oversight. Here's a fun little quick nerd thing. The three words used in this text in the Greek are, are words like kind of they, they summer or they talk about all referring to the same office of pastor, elder, overseer, but they're also words where we get denominations from. So the word elder in Greek is presbytos. Guess what denomination comes from presbytos? Presbyterian. The word oversight or watching over in the text is one word, oversight, and it's episkopos. What y'all think? Episcopal, yes. Things come from places. That's all I want to say about that. But to, to be an elder, right, like it's to shepherd and to provide oversight. That's the two, to be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, watching over them or oversight. So first to, to notice is this, is whose flock is it? Whose flock isn't it? Everybody else's. <laughs> whose flock is it? God's flock. But what has he done with the flock that's his? He's entrusted it to them. That is under your care. So Christian leaders are under shepherds. There is a chief shepherd, which verse 4 says, but they're under shepherds, meaning we are stewarding people that are owned by God. All right? Meaning they're not ours, and this is going to become important later, to do what we would like to do with them. Instead, they are gods, and we're kind of looking to God. And he says to be a shepherd of them. And this is interesting. Like for many of us who grew up in church, like you might be uh, familiar with pastors called shepherds. And that might sound familiar to you, but in some ways, it's kind of odd. It's like, okay, so God, right, most powerful supreme being in the universe, comes down in the form of a human being. And his kingdom's going to expand over everything. It's like yeast. It's just going to expand. And he's going he's to reign and rule over everything. And there's this great commission to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Like, we're going to reach everybody. Jesus is going to be on top. And you know who I want to lead such an organization and a movement? Those people out in the wilderness watching sheep. Shepherds. Like, shepherds aren't known for their competency in regards to, like, CEO-like qualities. You know what I'm saying? You're like, man, the shepherds, whew, like, the shepherds, walk, and they don't walk in, like, come like, hey, I'm a shepherd, you know? Shepherds are, like, they're, like, smelly down the sheep. It's like, I don't know, I don't remember, I don't know who, what, what's their name? I don't even know their name. But, like, that's who God entrusts his, he's, he's like, I want a human, like a human vocation or illustration I'm going to pick that, that is most representative of the work I want my leaders in the church to do, and the illustration I choose is shepherd. So 
listen, if shepherd, like literally, if there were shepherds leading our church right now, here's some things I think might not exist, and here's some things that I think would. We might not have the best graphics. I don't know if shepherds can make graphics or not. I'm not saying these things aren't important, all right? We might not have the best systems. I don't know how good shepherds, I mean, some of them managed a lot of sheep, so maybe there was some sort of system. I don't actually know enough. But I don't necessarily know if that's true. You know what I'm saying? Like, we might not, might not be the best communicators. I don't think shepherds are known for their communication ability. You know, might not be the best, mute, but what would, what would a shepherd make sure happened? Yeah, like, that he knows who his sheep are and that they get fed and that they are protected from predatory animals. That's what a shepherd's going to do. Make sure they get fed and then oversight, make sure they get watched over so that predatory animals don't come in. What does it mean to feed the sheep? Peter, who's writing this, saying to be shepherds, was told by Jesus, the Savior, if you remember in John's gospel, when after Jesus rose from the grave, he, he looked at Peter and he told Peter three times, you remember what he said? Feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me. Feed my sheep. What does it mean to feed the sheep? What's Jesus say in Matthew 4, 4? Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Feed my sheep. Teach the word. May we dine on the word. May the people never lack the word. May we love the scriptures, realizing it is the sword of the spirit the spirit of the living God uses the word to nourish us and strengthen us. That it is our life, literally. It is more for the Christian. This nourishes us more than food. We're not talking about legalism. We're not talking about what you got to do. I'm talking about how we get fed, how we get bread, how we get life. And it's the word, he says. Feed on it. One of the things I love about shepherds, right? And I think the illustration's helpful for helpful for us is shepherds lead sheep to green pastures. And Christian leaders, yes, we must teach the word of God. We must steward it rightly. But I think it is so essential for us to lead people to read it themselves and enjoy it for themselves. To love it for the, lead them to the green pastures to be able to dine on the word of God. Learn how to study it. Listen, listen. Some of us, like I think about Galatians chapter 3, Paul talking about the gospel in, in Christ. And he says, <clears throat> he says this in Galatians 3. He says, who has bewitched you? Because before your eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And his point is... You know Jesus, yet you've abandoned the gospel. How has this happened? It's as if the enemy has put scales over your eyes. And here's one of the things I think that, I don't know if it's Southern Christianity or what has done to us, but I know it's an act of Satan because it's not what the Bible says. But for many of us, we're bewitched to think that this book is just an old, outdated book. Or this book is just full of legalistic rules and that's all it is. This book is just something I'm supposed to do. He says it's food. It's life. 
There's something here because it's the breath of God, the word of God from God himself that we hear his words and we connect with him. It's about intimacy. It's about life. Sometimes we overcomplicate it as Christian leaders. We don't need catchy phrases. All we need is the word. We say at Grace City, the number one job of a leader is to grow, and the second job is to disciple those people underneath you. This is basically what we're saying. The number one job is to love the word, and the second job is to help others love the word. Like whatever we're doing, whether we're greeting or leading worship, making coffee, watching kids, the best thing we can do is to love God through his word and to help other people do the same. It's kind of simple, like shepherding, watching over. The idea is literally like I'm watching out to make sure two things don't happen. Wolves, what's the, what's the phrase? Wolves, tigers, and bears, oh my. Like, like the predatory animals don't come. I messed that up. Lions, tigers, and bears. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> Wolves, the... Yeah, they're there too. I think they should be a part of that. Wolves don't get the credit they deserve. Um, watching for predatory animals and then also watching the sheep as we get ourselves in trouble. So this is literally the one Sunday I probably, I don't, like we don't show videos a lot, but I literally would have shown this video, even though we don't have a screen, because it is so, and, I, and if enough people send me an email, I will send it to all of our membership, because of how funny it is. But it has to be, I don't know what the number is, but it has to be enough of you who email me. Um, I'll describe it. Uh, there is this video. I think David Stoney sent it to me. I don't remember. Or Jason Crosby. Jason Crosby sent me all these crazy Christian memes. This. <laughs> um, it's a, it's a, I, some of y'all seen this. It's a video of like this shepherd who, who has a sheep caught in a little crevice. And the sheep's like caught in this little, you can imagine like a, like almost like a, not a ridge, but it looks like, like it's a hole, like a long, I can't describe this well, like a, a long ditch, yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> and the sheep is caught in it. And the shepherd comes, and he's like working, and it's like the sheep's like kind of deep down, so the shepherd's like working to get the sheep out, and eventually you see the sheep get out, and you're like, oh, cool, this is a sweet video. And the, the shepherd, or the sheep starts jumping away, and then it does this huge leap. And you're like, what's about to happen? And it falls right back in the ditch. And you're like, what? You're like the work of a shepherd, you know? Like, and it just like, but you're like, isn't that us? Like, God delivers us, and we jump right back in. Don't we do it? Like, the same old stuff we've been struggling with. Like, how, how are we there again? You feel that? Like, I don't just, I thought I was past it. And we feel stuck again. But can I tell you something that I think is beautiful about even the work, when we're working with people who are like that? Or rec it's like, God's like, yeah, that's what it's like to care for you. But the beautiful thing is God's like, I don't get tired of it. I am here as a shepherd. This is my vocation, the chief shepherd. I'm going to pull you out over and over and over again. And maybe you don't improve as much as you think you should improve. But let me tell you, even when you're in a ditch, I'm the shepherd who's with you. I'm the God who's right there beside you. 
And that's what we get to do as Christian leaders too. And it's not uh, like glamorous. It might not ever be. The church, the thing, your lead might not ever become like, oh, we made it. But making it is just being there with the people over and over again and getting to shepherd the flock that is God's and watch over them. I got to speed up because we got to have a conversation. All right. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them. So the, that's the work. The, th- the, the next part is the motive. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, you ready? But because you were willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. All right. You ready? You doing it because you eager? You're like, yes! I get to wake up at 6 a.m. and set this up on the ground and around. Yes! So eager for this work. Love it. I'm willing. Yeah, yeah, put me in, put me in coach. I want to play. You know what I'm saying? Like one of the things, like even Christian leaders, one of the best things to look for is, is this person doing the work even if you don't ask them to do it? Because some people, like, like I think about one family who came to our church in the last couple years, and I'm like, wait, how, how have you had so many people over your house already? I'm like, you already had, like, everybody in our church over your house. And, like, literally, I just found it today. It's like, the, you know, it's like, oh, they're giving coffee away. It's just like, they're just like, what is happening? It's like, it doesn't matter, like, your position in the church. It's like, you're just going to be about to work anyways. You know what I'm saying? It's like a position can be helpful, maybe it's important, but it doesn't really matter because you're just going to be serving, loving people. And, and like that's, that's the disposition of us when we've really been caught by the Spirit. Is there is a joy attached to the work. And Paul says it very explicitly in Ephesians chapter 3. He says this, he says, surely you've heard of the administration of God's grace given to me for you. What's that mean? It means I have been given grace for you. God has given me favor for me to then dispense it to you. And then later he says in 3.7, he says this, Although I am least deserving of all of God's apostles, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So what's he saying? He's saying it is a grace to preach. Now that'd be convicting me sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, man, how many sermons do I have to preach in a row? I'm like, okay, I got two, and then I got three on, and then I'm going to get one break. That break's going to be really nice. Cool, okay, then I'm going to be able to rest a little bit. You act like I hadn't just been thinking of this recently. I'm like, I was like, these people think I got a break, but I was at Radiant preaching last Sunday. I didn't get a break. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm tired. This says the external obedience is not enough. He says, instead, there should be a willingness and an eagerness. Why does he hold this out? Because I think if we're honest, we all know what it's like to not want to do it. For those of us who've been doing Christian ministry, you know what it's like to just be like, I'm tired. And that's human, and I don't think that's wrong, necessarily. But he is holding out to us something to say, there is something else available. And for God, he does not want mere external obedience. And think about this, just even, he does not want you just to show up at church. And it's not because he's like, ah, you know, it's not because he's vindictive or mean or anything like that. He's like, I want your heart, though. I want all of you. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, like I want your effect. I want your affections, your emotions. I want your thoughts and your. I want it all because it's where life is and it's good for you. And there's a promise there that this is good. Like one of the things, and I think this is this this is messed up Christian culture, because I found like when we're tired and like exhausted and we're like oh, I'm feeling burnt out, and, like church and church is really burnt out because the church is asking me like. A very common solution to doing, for ministry burnout is this. You should stop doing it or you should do less. Uh, it's like, I'm doing a lot. Yeah, you should, you should do less. That is, the, that is probably the first solution we offer. Or even like reading your Bible, like I'm not finding joy in it. What should, maybe you just take a break. That is never a solution the Bible offers. The Bible is never like, you should do less now, or like you shouldn't read anymore. That's not what the Bible says. That is not the solution. The, script, the scriptures say, no, no, no. Like the scriptures say, don't do it because you must. Do it because you're willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. It says there's a joy available for you in the work, but don't stop doing it because the work is a grace of God. Like the work is a grace God wants you to have, so don't throw away one grace to try to go get something else. Receive the grace, but receive it for what God says it is. When, our, when we're doing something and our heart isn't with it, what it's revealing is there's something broken in here, and so we need something from out there, Jesus, to get in here and to fix what's broken about the inside. That's what we need. It should drop us to our knees to pray to Jesus, to ask the Spirit to make what is true, true in us. Because we're not experiencing the reality. So either God's not a man of his word or he is. But that should be our approach to these types of things. And it says don't do it out of not pursuing dishonest gain but eager to serve. Now a lot of us have church hurt. And church hurt is probably chiefly rooted in I think just that couple, couple words right there. Pursuing dishonest gain. Like many leaders are pursuing. Christian leaders have done things to pursue dishonest gain, you know? Like, there's movies and shows coming out all the time about this, right? We have one being shot right, or I don't know, right now, but in Charleston about it, right? Righteous gemstones. That's one of those things you're like, I don't want to tell my pastor I watched the show. You know, that's one of those things you're like, yeah, oh, never mind, I didn't watch that. I didn't watch that. But it's like, that, you know, saying it's, it's shot right here. Like, I mean, there's pastors with jets. That's true. I have one. It's awesome. I love it. <laughs> you know, there's like Instagram accounts, preachers with sneakers. Y'all seen this? This gets in my head a little bit because I do like shoes some. And I'm always like, I just don't even know. You know, I do, I do get in my head a little bit with this. Can you want to tell you? <laughs> I got a really funny picture after last service. Someone took a picture of my shoes. It was like eBay, $65. <laughs> Um, but that is true, but, but here, and, that, and I think how church is mismanaging money, like that's legitimately, some of you might experience pain from that. Um, that's, that's, that's real, real. I also think for, for you, you probably aren't a Christian leader because the dishonest game would manifest itself in regards to money for you. Because none of you are like, you know what, maybe if I make it high enough in the grace city hierarchy, I'll get paid a lot. 
You know what I'm saying? Like maybe if I serve, like maybe if I'm leading worship and serving on Kids City too, like I'm going to get double the bonus. Like, you know, you don't get paid nothing is my point. So like, 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 like how, so how would you do it for dishonest gain? And I think it's typically centering self in a way and using a spiritual position in such a way to try to get from people a type of like affirmation or accolade, accolades, um, accolades to, to draw attention to yourself. And, and I heard it said, and, and that's true for me too. That's very, that can be very true for me and any of us. But it says not pursuing dishonest gain, not trying to get from the people you lead something that's not rightfully yours. So you don't go to group trying to get from your community group that you're leading something that's not rightfully yours. I want to get all of the, I want them to, th- to say I did a great job. That's not really rightfully yours. Because we're doing that because Jesus did a great job. I want, I want the people over me to recognize me. That's not necessarily rightfully yours like that because Jesus has recognized you. You know? I heard it said the only way to center Jesus, center him, like in the church, is to decenter everybody else. And part of being a Christian leader is recognizing it is just not about me. It's just not about me. It doesn't really matter what people think. And that gives us a different type of courage, even in leadership, to be able to say and do things that we wouldn't do if it's about us. You know? We wouldn't be so petrified by people if we don't need anything from people. But for many of us in leadership, we got a Messiah complex. You heard that phrase? Messiah complex? Means we feel like we got to be everybody's Messiah. They need me. I got to be there for, I got to center everything around me because, because I'm the person. They need my, you know what I'm saying? Some of us, some of y'all, I don't ever, you know, it's like struggle with like coming into a place and be like, all right, I am required for this moment. Instead of being like, no, Jesus is the one required for this moment. It's not about me. But eager to serve and not lording it over those entrusted to you. That word lording right there is the same word used in the text we taught earlier in this series when Jesus says the Gentiles lord it over them. It's like exercising authority in a way that's domineering rather than what he says instead we should do, be an example to the flock. This is what it means to lead as a Christian, to be an example, not of perfection, but of loving Jesus, of dining on him. How beautiful it is to be invited into a place where what we just need to do is just <laughs> the best thing we could give someone is just an example of loving God ourselves. Like that's the best thing we could give them. Like we don't have to be super talented. We don't have to be incredibly eloquent. We don't need to be any of that. We just need to learn how to set our gaze on Jesus. Set our hearts on him. And then live a life that's kind of opened up and on display to the people that we get to lead. Notice I said get to. I think that's important. And again, the suffering, because that, that can be hard, but verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Amen, hallelujah, praise Jesus. 
we're under shepherds. One day the chief shepherd going to come back. The one whom is the rightful owner because he is the redeemer of the church, which is the sheep, the flock, the bride. He's going to come back. And when he comes back, for those of us who've received the grace of God, been redeemed by him, it's evidenced by our fruit, he's going to put a crown on our heads that will never fade away. Now, this would have drawn a first century reader to think about the Greco-Roman world where they would get a crown of wreaths, some of you have seen it depicted before, of leaves after they competed in a game and won a game, like a sporting event kind of thing. They would compete and they would get this crown and that crown would be made of leaves and those leaves would eventually over time fall away. And so the implication is we can compete, we can lead, we can live our lives in such a way where we're trying to get humans to put a crown on our head that's made of leaves that will eventually fall away. We can work and live our life where we get money in our bank account which will eventually fall away, where we get accolade from people which will eventually fall away, get some type of human relationship which will eventually fall away. Or we can work because Jesus has worked, because he has given grace we can shepherd accordingly, lead accordingly, so that one day when the chief shepherd appears, he's going to put a crown on our heads that's never going to fade. Pastor Krause said last week, I liked it. I don't remember exactly. He was like, I don't really know what kind of rubies and treasures are going to be awaiting me. And he's like, I'm not really into that kind of stuff. But I know God's good, so it's going to be amazing. It's like we don't know necessarily what that's going to look like, but that is who we are. And there is something in store for us that is like nothing we've ever experienced. And the participation in the ministry isn't because you better, you ought to, you have to. It's because, like, he's inviting you in to be a participant. He don't need us. He's God. Just like he doesn't need our praises to establish strongholds against his enemies. He don't need babies. Yet he decided he's going to use them. Praise God. There is no greater mission to be on than this. There's nothing more fun. There's nothing more enjoyable. There's nothing more life-giving than this. This is the work that isn't just work because it's a grace in and of itself. This is what God offers us through his word and through the participation in his ministry. Thank you for listening to the Grace City Church podcast. Whether this is your first time with us or you find the Lord moving you to engage differently or just learn more about who we are, we encourage you to find us at our website at www.thegracecity.com to explore all of the ways that you can give, connect, and engage. Thank you again for being with us. Now go live as image bearers of the King.